and I put two and two together. Doesn't, it doesn't sound very hard to do, but yeah. in, in the state that I was in, and I called her right away and I said, is this what you were trying to recruit me into? And she said, yes. And I just about lost it at that point. People are being branded. I'm being asked to come into this group. They've asked me for collateral. I was already very trying to avoid her calls at that point because I didn't want to give collateral, but I didn't want to say no. So all that came together all at one time and it just sort of blew up and it was a mess. My name's Catherine Edwards from the Live, Love, Learn podcast, and I'm passionate about helping animals and humans get healthy and happy in as natural ways as possible. When we know what the real problems are facing us, we know the solutions. Now, these problems can come in all sorts of unexpected ways. They can be physical challenges upon us, but they can also be emotional challenges. And today I have had the pleasure of interviewing the most amazing lady, Kelly Teal. Now, Kelly is best known for being a survivor from the Nexium cult and very bravely sharing her story in Seduce, the documentary, and in her new book, Unapologetically Glorious. And Kelly really has learned so much through this experience. And to me, she's an absolute shining example of how everything in life happens for us, not to us, despite that we might not be able to see that at the time. So in this important interview, we really delve deep into coercive control, what the warning signs of a cult, but also a narcissistic relationship are. What we can learn from these, these experiences, you know, it's so important not just to focus on the negative aspects, but also, most importantly, what we can learn, the lessons that we can learn. And you will see from this lovely, lovely interview with Kelly that she has really been able to take all the learning experiences and turn it into something really positive, not just for herself, but very importantly, sharing that knowledge with the rest of us. So I really know that you're going to get a lot out of this interview. It's not just a story about cults. There's so much more in it about why we're all seekers, about what we're looking for, what we're searching for, and how we can come to a place of peace, acceptance, and really realize how glorious we all are. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Sit back, have fun, listen, and as always, stay curious and stay free. Thank you. I am absolutely delighted to be here today with a new guest on my channel, but one that my good friend Bryce introduced to me and the beautiful Kelly Teal. And I'm just going to tell my listeners a little bit about you. I think a lot of people will know you anyway, but there's always some that don't. And we've got a very global audience. So Kelly helps people discover their gloriousness. And we're really going to talk about that because I just love that. You're an accomplished author, speaker, voice actress, consultant, and the driving force behind Be Glorious, a platform that's dedicated to creating a space where people can have candid, real conversations with themselves on their path to finding their own brand of glorious. You've also been featured in a series of interviews about the downfall of the now no notorious Nexium cult and the acclaimed documentary Seduced, which is currently um, streaming on Stars. In that, um, you were a big part of the Nexium puzzle, and you were faced with the hard truth that you needed to fight like hell to break back out of your, you know, re regain control of your destiny, which is just such an important story that I really want to touch on. 
And this experience really proved how truly vulnerable we are as humans and how easy it is to give one's power away unintentionally. And I think we're going to be pulling out today, Kelly, some links with that, with, with what's been going on globally over the last few years as well, because there's so many different levels of this that hit all of us. Um, so an amazing bio, an amazing story. And one of the things I wanted to start with is first welcome, and you are looking absolutely glorious, I must say. Oh. Thank you. Um, how Thank are you, you doing at the moment, Kelly? I'm doing very well. A little jet laggy right now, but other than that, I, I'm I'm doing great. Thank you. That's, that's fantastic. And you've been on a spiritual path for a long while, haven't you? And you've got a wide range of experience in that. Is that what sort of led you on to the next stage of the Nexium in the first place? Yes. Yeah, so I had been searching for a long time, probably 15, 20 years before even ran into Nixium. And I kind of hit a wall around that time. I felt like I had done so much and I just wasn't where I wanted to be. So when I was introduced to Nixium, it was like the perfect timing mm -hmm. of finding this thing that I thought was going to be it and where I was at in my life at that moment. And this is when I saw Seduced, I was completely, one of the things that completely blew me away was when you looked at the original, you know, why people like you joined Nexium, it was a human potential organization, wasn't it? It was very clearly being sold to people on that basis. Absolutely. It had a whole curriculum that was scientific based. So there was no religion involved at all, which was for me was great because it felt like it was something that I could, you know, step one, two, three and do it this way and you'll be here. And that's kind of what it was sort of introduced to me as if you do all these things, you're going to come to this place where um, you're going to reach sort of an enlightenment. And for me, honestly, I just wanted to feel like I was enough and I wanted to feel like I was okay. And I wasn't at that point. So it was like this perfect little recipe right in that moment for me. And who introduced you? How did you find out about Nexium in the first place? So I found out through a friend. We had um, run into each other and she mentioned these classes she was taking. And it kind of went in one ear and out the other. And then one day, probably like four months later, I was in the shower and I was just, I kind of hit this wall. And I thought, I should call her and ask her what those were about. It just seemed like the right thing to do. So I called her and she said, oh, we're having a meeting tomorrow. And I thought, oh, serendipity. <laughs> so I went over to the meeting and there was a recruiter there. And he explained to me about the curriculum, about Keith Ranieri, about Nixium, about ESP, which is um, Executive Success Program. That's what the, the curriculum that I took was called. Nixium is an umbrella that covers many different curriculums. So the first introductory curriculum is Executive Success Program. And so that's what I, um, I bought that first package. Yeah. And when you started doing the package and, and, you know, working through the coaching program, it was pretty intensive, wasn't it? But I have heard you say in other interviews that some of it was really helpful to you. A lot of it was helpful. I mean, I think I wouldn't have stayed. All the other people wouldn't have stayed if it wasn't giving us something. So the curriculum itself was built on a lot of other um, people's work, you know, Tony Robbins, some landmark that are very popular here in the United States. And so when you put it all together, we walked away after the first five days with these tools that really felt very helpful in my life. Yeah. And um. I just think it's really amazing because so many people have been all oh, what you call seekers. And, you know, there's so mm -hmm. many of us that are thinking there's just not something right in our life. 
you know, we really want to reach our full potential and feel like we are enough. I mean, why do you think, in hindsight now, why do you think so many people feel like that and really are searching out something outside of themselves? Well, I think it's because we have the society that kind of is always constantly telling us that we're not enough. Mm. Instagram, Facebook, um, commercials, everywhere you look, it's you have this idea of perfection. And when you measure yourself against that, at least for me, I always come up short when I would do that. And so I think there's this constant need to be better and to feel like you're enough. And I think that's why so many people are seekers. Now, I'm still a seeker. Yeah. I just know now that I'm never going to find it. So I, I look at seek, being a seeker as just being on a journey of life and constantly being open to new opportunities. But now that I've been in a cult, I'm very careful about the opportunities that I let into my life now. So I'm very, I have a new lens to look through, so to speak. Yeah. So in terms of when did you first realize, when did the alarm bells first start going off you? Because there's a lot of different stages. This doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different stages that you get taken through. So can you talk through a bit of your, your journey from taking that first five day course and finding it really useful to when did you first start finding out about the more secret group side of things. Can you talk people through that journey? Sure. Um, I When I took the first five days, I was like I said, I was at this point in my life that I really needed some change and some support. And I found that in, in, the, in the curriculum. So I ended up taking the first five days in Los Angeles. And then there's a whole 16 day course that you can take. And the next, the sixth day, number six day was starting the day after my five day ended. So I got on a plane, I flew to New York and I finished the six through 16 days. After that, of 16 days of being around the same people, around the curriculum, you know, you're working from eight in the morning until sometimes 10 o'clock at night. You're not eating a whole lot. The food that they have provided for you is vegetarian, which is great. Um, but if you're not used to that, there's not a lot of protein sometimes in that. So there's fatigue. There was a lot of things going on. And by the end of the 16 day, I was fairly indoctrinated already into the, what was going on. So I'm a believer now. I think this is an amazing program and they're all over me to, to get me to become a coach. So I become a coach very quickly. Now, unbeknownst to me, they were recruiting me for the resources that I had available to me and also the connections that I had. Yeah, And so they were really all over that. I did not know this. I'm thinking, oh, they really like me. I'm special. Oh, I'm doing great. You know, it's just, it felt really good. It's called love bombing. I'm sure yeah. you've heard of that term. And so after I became a coach and I realized I could real, I was really helping people, right? That that was my whole goal for becoming a coach was to help other people enjoy and benefit from what I was benefiting from. And so I became, started recruiting people in Orange County and we wanted to set up a center. So after about 18 months and, and I'm going through this program, I'm going up the stride path. I'm taking other curriculum in Mexico, the Jeunesse program. I've, I've met, you know, what is the Jeunesse program? Cause I think it's really important. People understand Kelly. So Jeunesse is a separate curriculum than executive success program. And it's really based on gender. So the differences between men and women. And it was very misogynistic. And I realized that from the very beginning, but the way that it was presented was sort of, you know, we're already kind of indoctrinated in this program. It's a bit misogynistic. I'm pushing back against that. Mm -hmm. And as you know, in cults, when you push back, you know, you, 
they come down pretty hard on you. So you sort of avoid doing that. In the back of my head, I'm thinking, this isn't quite right. But I was taking the pieces that made sense to me because there's always something that makes sense to keep you going. Hmm. So I was kind of putting that side part aside, taking in what made sense. And then um, I'm doing that program on top of coaching executive success program. So I'm very busy. I'm flying back and forth to New York. I'm going to Mexico City. And around 18 months, which is so interesting, I started to feel a little bit controlled. I was starting to feel a little more punished than normal because I was starting to ask more questions, but I was still very indoctrinated. Mm -hmm. And around 18 months, the Frank report came out and there was um, an article that said that women were being branded. Now, right around this time, someone within the organization who was quite um, a bit higher than myself rank-wise started recruiting me into DOS and mm. DOS was supposed to be a sisterhood of women who were going to push each other to become more measurable and accountable. And in my book, I talk about that moment where I'm being recruited and I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to be any more measurable or accountable. I'm kind of not done, but I don't want to say no. And I also don't want to say yes. So fortunately the Frank report came out right around that time. I saw the word, um, measurable and accountable. And she had asked me for collateral to, to come into this group okay. and collateral came up in the Frank report. And I put two and two together. Doesn't, it doesn't sound very hard to do, but yeah. in, in the state that I was in and I called her right away and I said, is this what you were trying to recruit me into? And she said, yes. And I just about lost it at that point, because then I realized my God, everything is happening now. And this report is probably true. People are being branded. I'm being asked to come into this group. They've asked me for collateral. I was already very trying to avoid her calls at that point because I didn't want to give collateral, but I didn't want to say no. So all that came together all at one time and it just sort of blew up and it was a mess. I can, I, I'm going to come on to that more because, you know, the, the what must have been going through your mind. And and did they say mm. what sort of collateral they were after? Did they give you so, examples of what they would want? Yes. Now, in the beginning, the collateral is very sort of what I would call more benign. Yeah. Um, and as you go through, you had continually, I, I found this out later, that you would be giving more collateral, like um, naked pictures mm. or house deeds or bank accounts, things like that. In the beginning... They asked me to basically just say something that was embarrassing to myself that I wouldn't want anyone to know and to write it down and notarize it and things and then give it to them. And if I didn't have anything that I could make something up. And at the time I had a very big energetic healing practice. So I was, I was in a chiropractor's office close to my home and I was practicing Reiki and homeopathy and things like that. They said that I could videotape myself saying that I was a fraud basically. And so I know it's just crazy, but at the time I thought, well, I could do that because it doesn't involve my husband, doesn't involve yeah. my family or anyone else. It's just about me. No one's ever probably going to see it. And so I did actually think about it. I know it's crazy. Mm. So that's what they asked me for. But the other ladies that were in the group and had been there for a while, they were being asked for a lot more serious collateral, which we still yeah. don't know where it is. You still don't know. It was really upsetting to see that when I watched Seduced and and the links with what people have been going through, you know, the people think it's never going to happen to them. And when I watched Seduced, and mm -hmm. if anyone hasn't watched it, please, please watch it. It's absolutely brilliant because when you see the stages that it goes through, 
it's so subtle I can completely see and anyone who's been on any sort of personal development journey spiritual journey there'll be things that will trigger in them for that I mean did your family Kelly notice so because you went you were quite unusual the speed you you went through the program so when Mm -hmm. you were coming back in between were any of your family members raising any red flags for you so yes my mother was my husband had taken a few classes so he kind of understood the beginning curriculum he thought it was okay which it it, it is and was um so there were a few of my friends kind of were questioning that it was a cult but i learned very quickly probably from my childhood how to sort of be almost two people right so i was orange county kelly and then i was cult kelly well we didn't call it a cult but i i was nixium kelly so i knew the people that were open to nixium and I could have open conversations, but I very quickly was able to understand when people weren't. Mm. And so I never talked about it. And I sort of was a different person. I was a person that was more acceptable to them. So not that many people questioned it. They wondered why I was away so much. They, a few people were kind of already onto it mm. and they would say it's, it's a cult. I'm like, oh, if it's a cult, man, it's the best cult I could ever even imagine being in. Because at the time I, I loved it. Yeah. So there wasn't anyone trying to stop me, put it that way. Yeah. And and I mean, this is the thing. This is why it's so clever, because as you said right at the start, you know, if it was that obvious, no one would stay. So the thing is, it's a bit like when people are looking at trying to think about what's the real history and, you know, what's truth in wider society. There's always mm-hmm. some really good nuggets hidden in with the lies and the agenda. Of course. And you've got to be pretty confident and pretty um, aware to actually stand in your power. And there can be a lot of shaming, can't there? We're going to come on to shame mm-hmm. now. There's a lot of shame in that if you question something or someone that's perceived to be doing something really good, that that makes you a bad person and it's your issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I felt ashamed because I assumed everyone would see it as something shameful. And I think in the beginning, because there weren't that many conversations really around cults at that time. And there was yeah. a, there were some, right? There were some documentaries that were out, but the conversation wasn't that big. I mean, Nixium went global yeah. when it broke. Absolutely. And there were only like 400 of us coaches, right? And maybe 25,000 people that went through the program. So it was a small organization. Um, and when the conversation hadn't really come out yet. You know, people were questioning and, and I was horribly embarrassed. Yes. Yeah. I felt a lot of shame. I really did. And in the very beginning and seduced, um, being part of seduced really helped me to own my story, really, to be able to put it out there. And of course, I didn't want to do it. I was frightened. I, you know, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. But Cecilia Peck, who was the director, um, was so kind and, um, really understanding. And so she helped me to be able to understand the power of being able to talk about my story, not the power for myself, but the power to to teach other people about the, what cults are all about. So it was really, for me, the reason I did it was because I understood it was going to help other people. And so that trumped my shame. But Mm. then when I was actually when it was out there and I couldn't take it back anymore, I, I, there was a moment where I had to say, okay, am I going to run away from this or am I just going to embrace it and go with it? And so I decided to the latter. That's amazing. And how much did support did you have in that process at that stage? Because that is a really brave thing to do. And 
I really applaud you, Kelly, because it completely changed my perception. I mean, I, I knew very little about cults. I've been researching them quite a lot over the last couple of years because of what I've learned about sort of brainwashing of the public in general, perhaps by other organisations. So in terms of did did you have a support in your sort of friends and family for that process? And also, did you have support from the other members of Nexium? Well, no support from the other members of Nexium. Wow. Everybody literally imagine a village and somebody throws a bomb and everyone just scattered because nobody knew who was doing what. No one knew where anyone stood. People were kind of lying to each other. Everybody was scared. Nobody wanted to admit they were out or in or what have you. Mm. So there wasn't a lot of support there at all. I had one person that I, that I really spoke with regularly. We were very much on the same page. And fortunately, you know, my community took me right back. And my family, of course, did. And so um, I feel very lucky about that because many people in Nixium did not have a community. Nixium was their community. And so, like, for example, Nancy Salzman and Lauren and a lot of people, that was their whole community. I still had attachments to my community. So I was very lucky. So the transition back was not difficult. The mental part, was very difficult. The indoctrination, getting myself unbrainwashed or realizing the, the level of indoctrination, that was very difficult for me. Can you just talk to So you, took, what are the key sort of red flags if someone's thinking that they're in a cult? Because it's a fine line, isn't it, often for, for people to discern? It is. Yeah. And so there's many flags. And Yanya Lalich, if you if anyone hasn't read her book called Take Back Your Life, is an amazing book. And that was the first one I read that really helped me to identify those flags. So I'll just tell you four of them that I often talk about in interviews. I use the word cult. And the first one is um, a charismatic leader, which mm -hmm. was Keith Raniere. The second one is you for it's a utopian society. You know, it's a society, a community that is special, that is super supportive, and it's it's not even real. Mm. The next one is um, L for love bombing. So whenever anybody in a relationship or anywhere that you go, there's too much, too fast, just too much attention, too much love, too much uh, everything, just the embracing that's called love bombing. So that's another big red flag. And the last one is thought reform. Mm -hmm. Thought reform is really when they're trying to get you to change your belief system, right? I mean, and they're, they're asking you to change your belief system about a lot of things. And so those are the four that I think are really big and easy to identify. And of course, there's, there's many more, but those four were very clear in the beginning for me. I didn't identify them because I didn't know about them. Yeah. But when I look back, they were all right there. And was Keith a charismatic leader? Because I mean, when I, the the limited amount that I've seen him on video, mm -hmm. he doesn't seem to be up there with some of the others. No. But <laughs> it's amazing if if a bit like the Emperor's New Clothes, where enough mm -hmm. people tell you how brilliant someone is, did you question? Mm -hmm. Did you did you have that connection with him initially or did it grow? So when I first met Keith, I kind of was like, what is all the fuss about? Yeah. Uh, he was very uh, came was very forward with me in the beginning. And when I first met him and I didn't know why he wanted to meet me, there was that was a red flag in the very beginning. Um, 
but he, everyone kept talking about how he's one of the third um, smartest men in the world. He created this amazing curriculum, which he did. Mm. And he had a lore around him that kept being repeated over and over and over yeah. again. Right. So in the beginning, you're kind of questioning like, oh, yeah, right. Guinness Book World Records. Show me that kind of thing. Mm. And then it was like this constant repetition within the organization. And after a while, you it's weird, but I, I just started to just assume it was true. Yeah, it is frightening. But the changing people's <laughs> thought process. So most of us, if we're on some sort of seeking or looking at any sort of personal development, part and parcel mm-hmm. of that is changing the people's thought process. So mm-hmm. talk us through a bit of that in terms of what have you learnt on that and when it starts to be a red flag? Is it just combined with the others or is it when it starts to dip in, for example, into your personal life? I think when it starts to go against your own gut feelings and your own belief system, right? I mean, we all can change our belief system, but we need to do it critically. So what happened to Nixium was we started losing our ability to critically think. So then when the thought reform would come in or when it was being in a different piece was being trying to change us, the, our beliefs, it was much easier because we weren't using that filter of our own critical thinking. We were going against our own intuition. Yeah. We were all doing it. And so that's when it becomes a problem. But changing your belief system is not a problem. That's being open to possibility, to other ideas. That's one thing. But you have to run it through your filter. Does it make sense to you? Does it resonate? Does it feel right? If it doesn't, it's not. And so that's what was missing in Nixium for me and many people. Mm. I mean, looking back on the experiences now, then... And reading your book, which we'll come on to, but it seems that there was a, a lot of good stuff that came out. It certainly changed the trajectory of your life dramatically. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. how would you sum up some of how you feel about having gone through that experience now? You know how we say everything's a lesson for us. Does that make sense mm-hmm. now in terms of this? Oh, completely. I wouldn't change a thing. I, I think I learned more from that. Ex- I actually learned more coming out of that experience than I have in anything else in my life. Because at that point, I had to take inventory of myself really for the first time. And I had to embrace myself. Um, and I, I hate to use the word self-love because that just feels like everyone talks about that. But I, I had to learn to like myself. And I had to learn to be okay with my own mistakes, my own failures. I had to see them as um, something that was moving me forward, not backwards. So there was a lot of, of um, self-exploration I had to do at that time. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's always beneficial, even though often very, very painful, isn't it? And talk yeah. to, one of the things that comes out big time with the work, and particularly in your book, everyone, you've got to get this book, and unapologetically. <laughs> I mean, you had me in tears in so many places Aww. in this book because there were so many aha moments. I mean, how did you, did you always want to write a book like that or was it really as a result of the healing journey that you've been through? It's so funny that you asked this. So I um, I was not a writer. I, I like to write a little bit. I have a degree in English, you know, so whatever. I just kind of wrote a bit but nothing in particular. And I hired two different people to write this book for me. And it just didn't work out either one. They're both male. They both was not my voice. It was just a disaster. And so um, my publicist actually at the time said, you know, you can do this. And she had been a screenwriter. And so she set me up with a kind of a way to do it, like a little right in the moment, 
just write about a specific experience and then just let it go. So that's what I did and it worked. And now I love writing and I just love it. But that was very freeing for me because I was able to really go into myself and be vulnerable and then put it out there so that without the shame and blame of being vulnerable, I mean, not a lot of people will do that. And because I went through that experience in Nixium, I have nothing really to hide. Now, I don't talk about everything in this book, Mm -hmm. right? I only talk about things that I think are be helpful to other people. And so, but I do allow the vulnerability to come through because I think it's important as human beings to understand that we're all vulnerable Mm -hmm. and we all make mistakes and we all need to recover from something, either trauma or an experience. And we're all human and we're all in this big family, this big group of people that interact and connect. We're all the same, but different. Yeah. And some of the things that really hit home for me is when you were talking about when your son was really small and mm-hmm. you moved to a new area and a new school and trying to sort of fit in with the other school mums and everything. And I think <laughs> every parent can identify with that. But looking back at that areas of your life and looking at where you're at now, what advice would you give to people that are going through that right now? My advice would be that everybody's feeling that whether they, whether you think that or not, everybody's feeling that need to belong, that need to be accepted, that, and, and sometimes a little need for attention too, right? We, we all need that human connection. And I always thought I was odd person out and I am kind of an oddball. I have to admit, I don't fit into a a lot of, of uh, situations, but I try. And I think that's very, very, um, similar to many people out there. We're all trying. We're all trying to do our best. We're all trying to be okay. We're all trying to sort of fit in at some level. And we're all looking for approval on some level. And I think it's just knowing that everybody else is going through the same thing. But I think the most important thing that I learned is that no matter where I'm at, what I'm doing, I'm okay. And I'm enough. Even if someone else doesn't think so, I know I'm enough. And I think that's really one of the most important things that we bring to the table is, is ourself, just as we are. Yeah, that's amazing. And I mean, shame can be such a huge controller over mm-hmm. people, can't it? And so damaging and almost mm-hmm. like, you know, you let that little bit in, you know, what tangled webs we weave, you know, when you just say mm-hmm. go that first step, it can be really, really hard to get out of that cycle. You've been on quite mm-hmm. a huge journey of releasing shame. And that is such a hard thing to do. What advice, again, have you got on that? What worked for you to actually shift that? Um, well, I think the shifting the shame part is understanding that every single person on this planet has made mistakes, mm. everyone, and that no one really likes to admit it. Of course, we we hide that. We don't talk about it. And you don't necessarily have to go out and announce it to the world. But if you can understand that being human, part of being human is being imperfect. Mm. And so when you have something very shameful it's kind of like that can follow you around, right? It can, it can define you. But if you understand that the shame part of the mistake is really something that you've decided that it's shameful, right? It's, you know, it could be bad. It could be, um, you know, unnerving. It could be a lot of things, but you decide whether it's shameful or not. And I think for me, once I decided that, you know, 
everyone else may think that I should feel shame, but I'm not going to feel shame anymore. I'm going to feel um, educated. I'm going to feel wise. I'm going to feel like I want to help other people with this. I, I chose to do with that a lot of different things besides shame. And I think it's a choice. You can choose to feel shameful or you can choose to feel and do other things. And that's what I decided to do. I just left it at the door. It didn't serve me. It doesn't serve anyone. And I think that's what the most important thing that I learned from this is that shame does not serve anyone. It's so true because when you're carrying that around, it's such a huge burden that affects every aspect mm -hmm. of your life. And we all know people that quite freely talk about all aspects of their life. And sometimes mm -hmm. it can be, you know, um, shy people can cringe away, but they, when they're not carrying that, it's a, a lightness to them and you show up in the world very differently, don't you? Mm -hmm. It's um, very empowering. Yeah, yeah, it's an empowering type of thing. If you can really let go of what, worrying about what other people think about you because a you cannot control it mm. you can't control anything that anybody thinks about you and spending all that time doing song and dance trying to get to control it you're not I'm, you're not going to be focused on your life and where you're going and what you want to achieve because you're so focused on the song and dance of trying to control someone's opinion of you it's it's it's, it's it is so freeing to be able to drop that yeah. at the door i'm telling you yeah. And, and particularly for, you know, I, I think youngsters nowadays have got such a tough time of it with everything on social media yeah. with, I mean, at least when we were younger, there wasn't much photo photographic evidence of what we got up <laughs> now. You can't get away from anything, can you? And, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're constantly seeing completely false parts of other people's lives that you're then comparing yourself with. Yeah. That joy for life and that simplicity, are you coaching others in that now? Is that part, are you still coaching? I do a little bit of coaching right now. I'm really focused on speaking and um, getting out more to the masses and helping people really embrace being an imperfect human being. But yet in that imperfection, there's this glorious essence that we have and really, and being able to touch, touch into that that we all have it. Like we're all born with it. We all have it. It's just, you have to remember that it's there and reach down and grab it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of what other people are going through at the moment, um, and let's take what's happened over the last three years with mm -hmm. what you've learned from coercive control in a cult environment. Can mm -hmm. you see that playing out in other areas of society? And if so, did you, is that a new thing to you? Um, I definitely see it playing out. And I think the first thing that I really um, was started to become aware of was this one-on-one -on -one narcissistic mm. um, relationships. I started seeing that more and more for what it truly was. A, a narcissistic relationship or a narcissistic person is using the same methods as a cult, exact same thing. And I started seeing these methods in a lot of different places. You see them sometimes in the workplace, you see them in politics, you see them, you know, uh, in a lot of, a lot of areas. And so I became very aware of that after how, my experience. How do you deal with it when you do? I mean, I know every situation is quite difficult, different, but in terms of narcissism is something, you know, for me, I hadn't even heard of it five years ago and mm -hmm. now there's a lot more awareness of it, but yeah. I find it quite funny, Kelly, where everyone is always accusing other people of being a narcissist. 
But quite know. often the people, so I can honestly say the people that first introduced me to what narcissism is, I then became to realize they were the biggest narcissists that I'd actually <laughs> met. So how do you deal with it when you come across this in your, you know, everyday life? Well, I think we all have narcissistic traits, right? I mean, you can, it's kind of like a spectrum, right? We, and so you have to look at that spectrum. But if you have a person whose intent, I believe, their intent is to control, to gaslight, to put the other person, to hurt the other person either emotionally or what have you, that's when I think narcissists, that's when you have a real narcissist, right? And so I think you can throw that out and say, oh, so-and-so is being narcissistic because they're on Instagram all the time and want to show themselves off. I mean, that's a different type. Yeah. I think the type that we're talking about is when it becomes very hurtful to another person, another group, that kind of thing, another community. Mm. Yeah, I it's... It's weird how much it's showing up at the moment. And as you say, mm-hmm. once you see it, you start to see little bits of it to different degrees everywhere. And it, it can be a little bit shocking. I mean, what keeps your faith in humanity? <laughs> Have you got <laughs> faith in humanity? Because it can be hard at times. So that's why I surround myself with animals. Yeah, there are moments, absolutely, where I question, you know, um, just the the world, right? Uh, but I also really feel like inside everyone, there is this piece that I call glorious. And I really believe it's in almost everyone. Mm-hmm. I, I, there are people that I that we know that it just isn't. But I do believe it's there. And I know that so many people are struggling with like what I talked about before, being accepted, being okay, and things like that. And sometimes our our mechanism to to defend ourselves comes up and it looks pretty ugly sometimes. So I like to look at people and understand that they're all struggling. Right. Mm. And, and when I, and I really try not to take things personally. Mm. So that's a huge key. If you can understand that if somebody is behaving in a way toward you, that's not very nice. It's really all about them. Yeah. It's not about you. It's about them. And if you can turn that around and understand that it's really, they're either having a bad day, they're feeling threatened, you know, a, a myriad of things, then you can just see that person as another human being who's struggling and it's not about you and you can go eh, and walk away. Yeah. Yeah. How about boundaries? So with one of the things about Nexium that sort of strikes me is that you were so intensely involved. And when mm-hmm. I watched the stories of other people that were, and it seemed such a close knit group, but then, as yeah. you say, because it just all ended so horribly and, you know, this realisation, it's a bit like, you know, the, the rug was pulled out so quickly from everyone's mm-hmm. feet. There was no gentle, <laughs> nothing gentle about it at all. No. So is what about the loss of those friendships? Has that affected you at all? Oh, that was the hardest part, I think, for me in the beginning was losing that community of people. I love them. I yeah. really did. And we all were doing our best at that time. And it felt very safe at the time because everyone was afraid to really talk about how they really felt. So it did, it was a very utopian society. But everyone was there because we wanted to be better people. And we were there because we were trying to help other people. Um, I'd say 99.9% of us were like that. Keith, no, and some other people possibly not. But 
we all were there for that reason. And so when that community broke up, when I lost that community, it was very hard. And there's still some people that I care very much about that are still believers that I haven't spoken with in three years. And, you know, I've had to come to terms with that. You know, I've really had to do a lot of work around that and just letting go. And I think letting go, we all have to let go of relationships at some points in our life. And that, that is, that is key, I think, for um, growing forward and sometimes understanding that, that saying that we talk about a season, a reason, or a lifetime, the people yeah. in our lives, that r- really applies here, I think. Yeah, it's something that I've not found easy, <laughs> letting go, it's but very I've had hard, to do yeah. more and more of it over the last few years. And wh- mm-hmm. when you realize, um, I think when you're an empath, when you mm-hmm. can see the reason why people are behaving in certain mm-hmm. ways, I mean, when you you went to the trials and you were seeing that, did that raise a lot of sort of conflicted emotions? Because mm-hmm. that boundary of a victim to abuser, it's blurred, isn't it, sometimes? It's so blurred because I could, having been in Nixium, I could see, I could understand where mm-hmm. everyone was a victim to it. And I also could see where the perpetrator, where the line was, I wasn't quite sure, but I could see both sides. So for me, being in it, maybe different from someone looking in from the outside and thinking, oh, these people are just so bad and everything else. I understood the level of indoctrination and what was going on and all of that. So seeing the trials was were, was really difficult for me because I was still in shock from it all. Mm-hmm. And I was still kind of trying to figure it out for myself and seeing Lauren testify and make made it all really come true for me. And then when the sentencing came along, you know, I think a year later, almost, uh, I really felt the judge did a great job trying to define where that line was. He did an amazing job with that. So lovely to hear that because we hear so much criticism of the legal system and corruption within it. And and I think, you know, mm-hmm. this blanket blame just has to stop really, doesn't it? Because yeah. um, there are people that do a really good job when you need it. He was it. great. And, he was and, a great judge. Yeah. Yeah. So coming on to your book, um, how's that? How are you feeling now, now it's done? I mean, what does it feel like to actually have achieved, first of all, getting it out? And secondly, mm-hmm. you've had such a positive response to it. Well, when I first (laughs) finished it, it was just relief because I wrote it actually in eight weeks. I just sat down, literally wrote it eight weeks straight. I came up for air to eat, go for a walk, take care of my daughter. And that was it. And when I, when I finally got it published and out, it became a bestseller. I, I just, okay. Then I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to read this. (laughs) Oh my gosh, they're going to, people are going to read it. And then, um, you know, it was like, hold your breath and see what people think. And then um, I had such a lovely response from people connecting to it and saying, I see myself here. And mm. it was just really, I'm sorry. No, I can imagine. So it was just really, um, not just a relief, but um, it just made me feel like I'd, I'd finally done something in the world that was really worthwhile. I'm sorry, I don't know, I'm getting so emotional. Um, I'm not surprised though, because it is, there's so much <laughs> in there. It's such an honest book. It's just beautiful. And that takes such strength, Kelly, to do it. Because, 
you know, sometimes it's easy to have a stranger reading something like that. Yeah. When it's mm-hmm. people, when it's your loved ones and you're really, mm-hmm. as you say, I know obviously you've chosen what you put in there or not, but you've yeah. some very, say, real brave choices in there about different time th- periods in your life and what you went to and painting a full picture of it. Yeah, I, it was um, it was very freeing on one level, not right away, but later yeah. it became freeing, where I was sort of like, okay, it's out there now, and and like it or you're not. Um, but I, for me, it's the you know, on Instagram, I'll get a comment or someone will say something that's helped me, and that just makes it all worthwhile. So having it out there is is good now, and you know, some people like it, some people don't, and it's okay. But it it's um. For me, it's uh, it's just been part of this journey that I've been on, and and it's just been really fun. I have to say, yeah, yeah. Does it ever get really triggering for you at all, or when people keep going on about the next year? Are you or are you still alright to talk about it now? Because a lot of oh, us, yeah. the other interviews where they go, you know, all most people are interested in is did you get branded and were you having sex with him? You know, that's basically the. Yeah, <laughs> And I get that a lot. You know, I get that a lot. And I I actually, in the beginning, it was sort of like, oh my gosh, again. But now it's just human nature to be curious. And sometimes I headed off at the pass and other times, you know, it's just, no, I wasn't branded and no, didn't have sex with him. Um, So I, but I do understand that. And it isn't really so much getting old because I think as humans, we're so curious. And I believe that the conversation around cults, coercive control, um, high control, high demand groups is a very serious conversation that is important. And so do I get tired of talking about Nixian? Um, sometimes. I mean, I think I get more tired of the, I'll tell you how when I get tired, is when I'm surrounded by many people in a new group who find who have a lot of questions and I find that answering the questions in a big group is better than doing it one-on-one. That's when I get tired. It's like when I'm constantly, and I feel like I need to really explain what's going on. And I'm learning now that I don't, I can just answer the question, let them process it. If they have more, they can ask. So I don't need to build the whole thing for them. If that makes sense. It's absolutely brilliant. And I think also, at least that's why it must be so helpful. I would think that to have say, you know, what's seduced, read the book because you can't, <laughs> these, these issues are so complex they're not something mm-hmm. that you can cover in a five minute conversation I mean they're so deep and I don't think there'll be a single person watching this that isn't having real um oh my god yeah this relationship that situation mm-hmm. um I didn't talk about everything in this book mm-hmm. right and I, I don't think people need to talk about their whole lives in in any situation and I think boundaries are such a personal thing right where are you comfortable and and I think that's where your boundaries start and stop and you should never feel obligated or pressured or coerced mm-hmm. into um, exploring or even um, talking about or or anything that you're not comfortable with. Does that make sense? I didn't say that very well, but no, it does. I think it's like when you find your boundaries where you're comfortable and just not feel the, you know, pressured, like in interviews in the very beginning, when I first started, um, I had some pretty big interviews and I felt the need to like talk about, answer their questions. Now, if I don't feel like answering a question, I just say I'm not comfortable with that. I have no issue with that. 
want. Yeah. And I think that goes to everyone, right? If you don't want to do something, you don't do it. If it doesn't feel right, never feel pressured to do or say or be anything. Yeah, fantastic. And also um, recognize when you might be doing that to other people as well. It, exactly. Yeah. Big one, isn't it? In terms of thinking, mm-hmm. gosh, you know, I mean, a lot of people when they talk to their children, when they've got animals, mm-hmm. when they've got, you know, um, right. whatever, there's so many areas of our life where we can actually sit back and think, wow, how would I receive this now that I know what mm-hmm. I know? Because you're right, it just hasn't been talked about enough in a, in a way yeah. that's helpful. Yeah, and I, and I think boundaries too are so personal to each person. Mm-hmm. And that they need to figure out where they're comfortable, where their boundaries are. And um, we don't talk about boundaries a lot. And I think it gets us into a lot of trouble because even in Nixium, I didn't know where my boundaries were. And they were constantly pushing those boundaries. And I didn't have strong boundaries at that time within Nixium because I really wanted this, that thing to, I just wanted it to work and I wanted to help other people. So I wasn't really clear on my boundaries. Now I'm very clear on my boundaries. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is quite amazing when you sort of go through, so often we hear the cliche that, you know, everything, life happens for you, not to you, and there's a lesson in Mm -hmm. everything. But there really is, isn't there? (laughs) You know, we can choose to Mm -hmm. see it. It's how you choose to react to it and how you choose to grow Mm -hmm. from it. Um, I do think sometimes some people don't have any support around them which is really, mm-hmm. really hard. I mean, with your book and what you shared in there and the lessons, as you say, with also your website and the work you're doing about helping everyone realise how glorious they are within them, what are some of the key things you would say to people that are watching this that you want them to take away from, without giving too much away in the book or the work that you're now doing now? I think the is really about understanding that you are enough. We mm. all are enough just as we are. Now, can we work on things? Absolutely. Can we grow? I hope everyone wants to grow. Um, but it's we are enough right now as we are in this moment and that we are okay. And I think that thinking that we're not okay causes so much havoc and doesn't allow us to live our lives and live our gifts and understand who we are and get to where we're going and decide who do we want to be. We don't have time for that. If we're constantly, you know, saying I'm not enough, I'm not okay. It keeps you from doing everything. You watch kids, you know, not excel in sports or or whatever they're doing because they feel like they're not okay. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing to that comes from this book and, and understanding that you are imperfect, that we're not these perfect beings. We're going, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail a lot and embracing those failures and still being, I'm okay. You know, it's lovely. And with this outlook on life that you've got now, have you noticed your outer world changing in response to that inner confidence? Very much. So Um, I also, interestingly enough, you know, relationships have changed a lot. Uh, Some have come, new ones have come in, which has been absolutely amazing. And some old ones have have gone out the door. And and I've been okay with that kind of ebb and flow because as we change as people, our vibration changes, right? And so we're attracted to different people and different things. and, And you only have so much room in your life. And 
you want the people around you who are going to support and you can support them and it's a, an equal back and forth. And so that's what I've really been experiencing since, since all of this. And it's all been very positive. Right. Letting go is hard, but it is also part of life. Yeah. And when you look at sort of the lessons you've learned and you apply it to the bigger picture of what's going on globally mm-hmm. and, you know, a lot of people, it's been very obvious over the last three years about how much of a fear state a lot of people are or well, mm-hmm. know, how much of that probably too much for this conversation about how much is coercive mm-hmm. to put them in there. But do you find that you can shut off from a lot of that noise and not let that affect you now that you've you've embodied these skills yes and I you know I don't let that in my house for one thing so I never have the news we haven't had the news on in the house for 15 years I just don't have it on right do I check in with the news on online yes so I, I know what's going on in the world but I also keep my environment as balanced as possible and, and and try to raise the vibration all the time in my home so I think it's important to have that space for yourself and so there is a lot of fear in the world. Um, but I also believe that when you lean into it, you bring everything down with you, right? You, There's things to be fearful or cautious of in the world. I was just in Africa, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things to be cautious of in Africa. And that was one of the things that I learned there was, you know, every step I took, I realized I had to be very observant for snakes and bugs and all kinds of things, right? And then when you take that into the bigger picture of the world, you know, we live in a very kind of scary world, but we also live in a world that we have a lot of control over our own being, our own self, our own vibration, our own clan, all of that. And so there's those two things that are sort of juxtaposed and you kind of have to blend them together and you can be as fearful as you want, or you can be as courageous and sort of balanced and say, yeah, this is over here, but I'm over here. And it's amazing how your world will shift that way because suddenly things around you become different when you're no longer fear-based. All your decisions become different. Yeah, You start choosing different things. You start seeing different things. It's a whole different mindset. Absolutely. And as you say, uh, attracting different opportunities, people, Mm -hmm. situations, uh, interactions at every level into your life. So what Mm -hmm. next for you? What are you excited about moving forward? Well, we have some interest in the book that I can't really talk about right now, but um, which is very exciting coming forward. I'm working on my second book. Mm -hmm. I'm doing some major speaking engagements in Europe, which is going to be super exciting. And um, yeah, that's for now. That's what's what I'm doing. I am working also on putting together a little bit of uh, possibly doing some teaching around this mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, awareness is so at a completely different level now. And I think mm-hmm. you know, this is where it's so great to see you and the other people that have had the courage to speak up about their experiences, because I certainly, to everyone I've discussed it with, Kelly, has said it's completely changed their perception of, you know, taking from a judgmental, if it would never happen to me, to, wow, this is, 
Um, we can see this in so many different areas of society mm-hmm. at different levels, of, of course, but also mm-hmm. having real understanding and empathy for people that have been through that as well, because it literally could happen to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think the 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 abuse that happens within one-on-one relationships mm. is something that really needs to be looked at too, it, because it's the same, it's the same playbook, exact same thing. It really and, mm-hmm. and I think people get stuck in these narcissistic relationships and get gaslit and all that. And they think that, you know, this is all they deserve. And they get stuck and they don't know how to get out. And I think that's a really important conversation. Maybe not for today, but another time. It's like, yeah. how do you get out of those relationships? How do you identify them? How do you get out? How do you know when it when it's abuse? How do you know when it's, you know, impacting your life in a way that yeah. is wrong? It's so important, Kelly. And I'd love to, if you have time, another time to come back and talk about that. Yeah. It's a very fine line in a lot of relationships, not just romantic relationships, but all sorts of relationships in terms mm-hmm. of knowing when it it tips over the line being abused. When does it become mm-hmm. something that you can work on and address yeah. together as opposed to saying enough, you know, this is time to go. And I think this is the problem. It causes so much stress that then manifest in physical health problems, emotional health oh, problems. Yeah of everyone around them and I think everyone watching mm-hmm. this can identify with that so it's fantastic the work you're doing thank you so much thank for joining you. us today I all Kelly's links will be below I would really recommend everyone regardless of your situation to read that book it's it's funny it's uplifting it's honest but there's such really important messages in there for everyone so I think you're an absolutely brilliant writer and oh, thank you looking forward to seeing what next for you thanks Kelly thank you. Oh, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. And I hope there's at least one thing that you can take away and apply to your own life or to the lives of your animals. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And if you feel inspired, please do share with your friends and family. My goal is to inspire as many people as I can to live their best lives to stay curious and to raise their consciousness and that of the collective. So to do this, I need to reach as many people as possible and this needs your help. If you feel drawn, would you be willing to share your favorite episode with five different people? This helps us spread the word and also helps me encourage some exciting new guests to take part in this podcast. If you feel drawn to do that, I will be very, very grateful. All the links and discount codes where applicable for all the products that I support are on my two websites, katherineedwards.life and katherineedwardsacademy.com. All of the products are personally tried and tested by me, my family and my clients. And finally, please do press the follow or subscribe button, depending which platform you're listening on. And above all, stay curious and stay free.